next week. Uh, because as we were going through, as we're going through this short series on knowing God, just more and more, uh, there's more and more that I want to share about this and emphasize about who God is and, and getting us drawn into the big redemptive story of Scripture. Okay? Oh, there they go. That's our kids marching. What's, what's the old hymn? Um, Saints go marching on. All right. Um, yeah, and so, so, and, and many of us are going through through the Bible right now. We're going through the book of Genesis, and we're journeying through the Bible as, as I am as well. And as I'm reading through the book of Genesis, I'm seeing just God at work, and my my I'm just being refreshed by what I'm seeing. And, and, and one of the stories in there that I didn't want to skip over and miss out for us in this series is the story of Joseph. I sent out an email this week uh, with a little devotional um, on the life of Joseph. And so this morning, I thought it would be appropriate for us to look at... The, the attribute of good, God's goodness to look at the providence of God and the goodness of God through the life of Joseph. It's such a powerful story. It reads like a novel. It would make a great movie if some Christian artist that has that that would, would like to take that and just really build that out and at the same level they've done the chosen with. Uh, it would be an amazing story to put in, in film. And it's a story that I think touches, it hits home with each of us who live in a fallen, broken world. And as we try to put together the pieces of our lives and make sense of all the broken past that we've experienced, the pain that we've experienced... The book, of jo- the book of Genesis and the story of, of God working through Joseph's life gives us hope and comfort and encouragement. And it helps us to see kind of the bigger picture that, and be reminded that God is up to something so much bigger than what we might be feeling or, or thinking that, that is going on in our life currently. How many of y'all know it's hard to see, see much when you're in the valley? It's hard to see much when you're in the valley. When you're going through the valley, it's really difficult to see. And so you need to remember those those views, those snapshots, the perspective that you've seen from the mountaintop. And the scripture takes us up there and it helps us to see the big picture of of, of redemptive history of what what God has been up to. And it helps us to to find our place in his story. And what, what is he doing? It helps us to see our part our part in the story. Now let me let me just start with two verses about the in the New Testament referring to the Old Testament and one of the reasons why we need to read the Old Testament. Okay? A couple of reasons why we need to read the Old Testament, not just read the New Testament. We believe the entire Bible is inspired by God. It is the word of God. Okay? And Paul writes in, in Romans 15 verse 4, he says, "For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Anybody need hope and instruction in your life today navigating the, the journey, the, the, the broken road that, that you're walking on in life and following Jesus? 
And the scripture also gives us warning. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things took place as examples for us, referring to the Israelites and, and God's dealing with them and their response to God's dealing with them and it, that we might not desire evil as they did not, or, and not be idolaters and not indulge in sexual immorality as they did. And so these things are written in the Old Testament. These stories have relevance for our lives today. They're not just good stories that entertain us and engage our minds. They are, they are, they are true stories of, of history, of, of, of God's working in the lives of his people and, and of Israel. And so with that said, let's look at Genesis chapter 37 and pick up on the story of Joseph and God working through his life. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. And he was a boy with the sons of Bil Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. And now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of the sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Okay, now we're going to just kind of stop here for just a minute and just kind of look at what was going on here. Joseph came from a broken, dysfunctional family. There was tension within the family, okay? And, and his, 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 his parents' family uh, was dysfunctional and broken. And as you read through the book of Genesis, Genesis, you see a lot of failures and flaws and brokenness and sin in the world and God working in spite and even through the sins and the brokenness of the patriarchs, right? And so he was in this, this, this family with brothers that, that hated him, okay? They had different mothers. There were four different mothers, and he was uh, born of Rachel, the wife that Jacob or Israel loved, right? And so there was tension already. Now, now I got to say, if, you, if you're going to have, if, if a guy marries four wives, there's going to be some challenges, all right? Then has children, uh, there's going to be some challenges there, right? And so there was tension, there was favoritism that was expressed towards Joseph. There was favoritism expressed towards him, and his father made him a coat of many colors, right? This he made him this garment that was a symbol of that favoritism that he had. That Jacob had towards Joseph. And I, I can just imagine how the other brothers felt when he walked around with this nice coat of many colors. It was a symbol that dad loves me more than you guys. Right? So there was dysfunction in the family. So much so that they, they couldn't speak peacefully to their brother. There was tension. Gosh, and, and those of us who are parents can imagine what that would feel like to not have your children get along, all right? When it's time to gather and have a meal and, and, and you know, just to, to have some peace in the home. Can you imagine 
the, the, the animosity and the hatred that, that took place. And so jo- Joseph was favored by his father, but he was hated by his brothers. And before we move on into the, the next scene here, I just want give, to give the big idea of what we're, what we're emphasizing here. In light of what Joseph went through, and we'll expound a little bit more on what he went through, all the hardships and afflictions that he went through, we see in this story that God cares and intervenes in the lives of his people to fulfill his plans through the afflictions that they experience. God cares for and he intervenes in the lives of his people to fulfill his plans through the afflictions that they experience. Remember back in in a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, Genesis 12 and 15 and we looked at the life of Abraham and God promised Abraham that he was going to bless him and bless his descendants and multiply his descendants. All right. So this was this was Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. And God had a promise that he was keeping with Abraham and and, and blessing the, the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites. And so let's look at that. Let's see, let's look, let's get a glimpse of the providence of God unfolded through the life of Joseph. So he was he was hated by his brothers. His, his dad went, told him to go go check on his, his brothers. He went to spy on them, check on them. And, and, and then um, they, they had a plot. They decided that they were going to kill him. And, and Reuben's like, no, don't, don't. Let's not do that. Let's throw him in this pit. And so he was hated by his brothers. And then they, they threw him in this pit and they decided to sell Joseph. Okay, now that's just bad. That's when you know your family has some major dysfunction. When your older brothers sell you into slavery just to make a little profit, right? That's not good. This is injustice. We may laugh about it here, but but I don't think Joseph was laughing as he was experiencing. This was real and this was painful. And he probably had a hard time making sense of his life in the dreams that he had for his life that God gave him. Remember, on top of the coat and on top of the favoritism that his father had towards him and, and openly before the brothers, Joseph has these dreams of, of like these, him, the, these sheaves bowing down to him. and his, So his brothers bowing down to him and then his, his parents. And, and so he has these two dreams and he, he just kind of goes and shares it with them. Okay? Now, perhaps there was some immaturity here. Perhaps there was some... Some, some pride. The Bible doesn't say that. I mean, actually, as we read the life of, the, of Joseph, we see, we see him put in a positive light. We see him as, as an example of somebody who continues to do the next right thing and gets in trouble and gets, gets falsely accused, gets injustice done towards him, and yet he just continues to, to trek along and move forward and, and get up when he falls down. Because... God was with him. God was working in his life to weave together a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful portrait of his goodness, his providence in Joseph's life. And so let's let's go a little bit further here in chapter 39. Yeah, I know we're, we're going to try to cover... Genesis, the story from Genesis 37 to 50. So bear with me here. Okay? 
Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. And notice this. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house, in the field. Remember what, what God told Abraham? I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Through your seed, through your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to experience blessing through you. Now we talked about ultimately that's fulfilled in Jesus. The one who gave his life for the world and redeems a people from every tribe and every tongue. And we will be gathered together around the throne of God. Revelation 5 points us to this. And so we see the blessing of God, the favor of God. We see in contrast to Joseph being forsaken and hated and, 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 and alone and, and, and sold into slavery. And then falsely accused, as, we'll, as we read a little bit further. The author of Genesis wants us to get something here. That God's at work in his story. None of, this, none of this is catching God by surprise. God's at work in his story. God's doing something. And Joseph may not see it. Joseph may not understand it. He may not conclude in the middle of this, God, you're so good and you're so amazing. You're so sovereign. You work everything together for my good. Now, at the end of the story, we know that that's, that's his conclusion. Right? As he looks back, as he's on the mountaintop, as God brings him through the valleys and the broken path of life. And he sees. He walks through it. And God's with him the whole time. He walks through these really difficult times. And he sees the hand of God at work bringing about good, not just for him, but for many people. And so we see that Joseph was a man of integrity. So. We know the story here. After a time, his, his master's wife, Potiphar's uh, wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put me over everything that has, uh, and, and he has, me, has in my charge. And no one is greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as, he, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, and to be with her. Joseph was a man of integrity. He didn't let the past pain... Lead him to justify sinning sexually in this way. He resisted. Now it says that Joseph was a good looking man. He was a handsome man. Well built, strong. 
And the master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast eyes on him. She's like, hey, come on. Okay? And Joseph's not having it because that's not what he's about. Right? He's not about having friends with benefits. All right? He's not about sinning in the sight of God when it seems that nobody else will know about it but God and Potiphar's wife. He's not about that. Because on the inside, who he is as a person matters and what he does when no one else is looking matters to him. Amen. This is integrity. This is the fear of the Lord living with the, the awareness that God's eyes are in every place beholding the good and the evil. We should remember that. Men, when we're before our computers and we're tempted to look at an image on the screen that we know violates the command of God, do not commit adultery. Jesus said, if you look to lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. We ought to take holiness serious. Because God has redeemed us and he's made us his own and God is with us and he's watching us. He's watching over us and he cares about the details of our life and we want to make him smile. And I love, I love Joseph's heart here. I love the why behind the what in this. How could I do this evil thing and sin against God? Like, yeah, yeah, it would have been wrong. He would have broke trust with Potiphar. And that would have been wrong too. He would have sinned against Potiphar as well. But ultimately, he's, he's, he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is similar to what David confessed in Psalm 51 when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and cried out for God to have mercy on him and created him a clean heart. He said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight. Right? Just think of what our lives would look like in the secret if we live with this awareness that God's with us and He sees everywhere. He sees everything. And He rewards faithfulness. And He will discipline and punish wickedness. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug and act like it never happened. Sin is destructive. The wages of sin is death. Right? So we could, this would be a great message for, um, oh man, I lost the power here. Swish these batteries out real quick. So this would be a great message for the men's breakfast on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Both men and women need to hear this message Amen. as well. And when we look at the New Testament, the New Testament gives us a lot of reason for us to live with sexual integrity. Because we've been bought at a price. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? Amen. So, so Joseph was a man of integrity. And so what we see here, and this is, this is one of the things that just I think is so beautiful in the story, is we see both divine sovereignty or providence 
God working, being with Joseph, making him successful, blessing the work of his hands. But we also see human responsibility. All right? We, should, we, should, we shouldn't divorce the two. The two go together in the Bible. Right? And some people tend to overemphasize one over the other. Right? And, and it's, it can lead to some unhelpful practices, either passivity or legalism. Right? And, and, and what we see here is we see that he's responding faithful. He's, he, he's, he's, he's choosing integrity. He's choosing righteousness. He's choosing to do what's right. Even though he had went through a difficult time, we see integrity. We see faithfulness. We see wisdom. We see patience. The end of the story, we see forgiveness. Okay? And these two go, these, these go together. This is our response to, to, to God and what He's done in our life and who He says He is and, and how He says we are to live our lives because who He says we are and what He says His will is for our lives. And so Joseph seemed to let integrity kind of be the compass, right? And he just continued to trek along and do the next right thing within the span of 13 or 17 years old to 30 years old. Okay, he went through some really difficult times, right? That was that. That's a long until those dreams started to come to pass. That was a long time to wait and have to go through some challenges and be falsely accused and uh, sold in slavery by uh, your family, to go to jail and be forgotten after you helped somebody out by interpreting their dreams, right? See, though Joseph had been forsaken by. His brothers, God was for him. Yes. Though, though he had been separated from his family and the comfort and the blessing of family, God was with him. Though, though Joseph was falsely accused by, by Potiphar's wife, God had favor and, and exalted him. God lifted him up and blessed him. Though he, he was forgotten by the um, by the butler or the um, I'm sorry the, the uh, cupbearer the cupbearer and the butler he interpreted their dreams though he was forgotten there in jail God saw him and God was working his story out to bring about good and to bring about good not only for him but for others now Joseph was a man of character and character by the way is foundational. It's foundational for whatever God calls us to do. It's, it's foundational for life. And the more responsibility that God entrusts to a human life, the more character they have to have if they're going to faithfully hold up that responsibility. Otherwise, they're going to crumble when too much responsibility gets put on them. And character is developed over a period of time. It's developed in the mundaneness of life. It's, it's developed little by little, making those choices to do the next right thing when there's nothing spectacular going on and no spectacular reason to do the next right thing. Just, I'm going to do the next right thing here. Right? And so we see Joseph's character. We see Joseph's competence. All right? Joseph, Joseph is able to interpret this, these dreams for Pharaoh when Pharaoh has some dreams about some terrible, the famine that was coming. And we see Joseph was given the ability to interpret these dreams. And then he also had a plan for what needed to happen so that many lives could be saved. Gene Getz writes about this and he says at the age of 30, Joseph could have never have handled 
this world-class task without an intensive and experience-oriented course in management. It began in Potiphar's house, where he managed all his affairs. It continued in prison, where he was eventually responsible for all the prisoners. And 13 years later, he was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. The dreams that God had put into his heart and had given to him were coming to pass, but they didn't come to pass without a cost and without a painful journey through some really dark, difficult days. Uh, Gene Getz goes on and he says, God's plan for Joseph was on schedule. His preparation was tailor-made for the task God had for him because Joseph passed each test. He learned from each experience. He learned to trust God more, and he was ready when God opened the door of opportunity. He handled prestige and power without succumbing to pride. And he persevered with patience, and he performed his duties faithfully and successfully. He was well prepared. And so we see human responsibility here. We see, we see Joseph developing as a man in both character and competence. But we also see, and I think this, this stands out to me even more, is the, the truth about God's providence. That God was working something out. And Joseph, Joseph identifies this and, and vocalizes this to his brothers at the end of the story. But I don't know about you, but I think I need a, I need a helpful definition of providence. Unless anybody has, it, has one memorized, you can share with us right now. Um, so we're going to look at what is providence. Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology, says this. He says that providence is God, God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. He cooperates with created things in every, every action, directing every distinctive property um, to, to cause them to act and to do and directs them to fill, fulfill his purposes. Here's another one. Uh, a couple years ago, John Piper wrote a book on providence, and he has preached and written much about this subject. And uh, this is a great resource. It's free on Desiring God. He says that the providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. God's providence carries his plans into action and guides all things toward this ultimate goal and leads to the final consummation. So why does this matter? Why does this matter tomorrow, Monday, when you go back to work? And you're you're, you're, you're um, leading your family. Here's a couple reasons that, that Piper gives. that The biblical authors don't, don't bring... Uh, don't bring this up, this wonderful idea of God's providence, merely to make a theological point. But they do, as Piper says, to, they do so to, to humble human pride. This is why this matters. It humbles human pride. It intensifies human worship. It shatters human hopelessness. And it puts a ballast in the battered boat of human faith. Steel in the spine of human courage and love in the human heart that sees no possible way forward. This is what the doctrine of providence does in the lives of the believers. This is why this matters in the Bible is a book of providence. We see the hand of God. We see God working through it. We see 
God bringing salvation and rescue. The root word that is uh, from, from um, that's, that we, we translate um, from the Latin, uh, the root word has two parts. Pro, which, uh, which means either on behalf or in advance or by, uh, which is Latin, which means to see and to take care of. Thus, when used of God, providence means to take care of something in advance, to make provision for something beforehand. God's providence then refers to his preserving and sustaining care and control of all things in view of achieving his divine purposes. So here's the verses where we see this most clearly in Joseph's story. When there is res- reconciliation, when, when his brothers meet back up, having thought that their brother was gone, probably that they would never see him again. The famine was, was, had gone down. Joseph had executed a wise plan. There was grain. There was food for everyone. God was bringing blessing through Abraham's seed, Joseph's great-grandson. All right? And he was using the resources, the wisdom, and the gifts that, that he had to, to, bring a ble- to be a blessing to the world. And, and Joseph says, says this to his brothers. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now here's his opportunity, by the way. All right, like now you might in, in a typical, you know, um, story, Hollywood story, this is revenge time, right? This is it's time for younger brother to get even with the older brothers who sold him. And that's not what goes down. It just it gets more and more beautiful here. Right? Joseph is exalted to this place of power and he has the character to be able to sustain such responsibilities and he's put in this place and he sees his brothers. And when he has the opportunity to have their heads cut off, he says this, he says, don't don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because, because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. Now this is profound because what Joseph's saying here and what Genesis, the book of Genesis is teaching us here is that God is working through the sinful actions of humanity, though God does hold humanity responsible for sinful actions, like injustice of slavery. It's just wrong. Okay, You're going to give an account. Those, those who do evil in this way are going to give an account to God. Joseph says, God sent me here. And we, we may struggle to put the two together. And I don't fully understand how these two work together, but they do. Divine providence and human responsibility. They do work together. Look, look in verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So here we see human intentions were evil here. Okay. But God had a plan, and he meant, he meant for it to be good to Joseph and so that many lives would be kept today, uh, to, the, to that day. Romans 8.28, this, this just sounds very similar to Romans 8.28. And we know 
That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We can trust this. We can trust in God providentially ruling over creation and, and over our lives. And we can trust that God is good, that His intentions are good. And we can worship Him both as sovereign and good. And we can find the the anchor of hope in Him through life's storms by clinging to these realities about God and worshiping Him as the one who works all things together for our good. Ephesians 1.11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. A lot of people want to debate about this profound theological truth, but Paul, let, he, he, Paul described it as a reason for praise and worship that God is working all things according to the counsel of His will and for our good and for His glory. Acts chapter 2, Peter, uh, in in, in preaching the gospel. Here's where we see this theological truth come to a pinnacle, come to a peak. In the life of Jesus, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Peter says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You go to Acts, 2, Acts 4, 27 again. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. This is profound. This may be challenging for us to grasp and understand, but we can accept the reality that God will turn what's done to us that's wrong. And, and, and I don't and hear me out. I don't want to invalidate or minimize the pain of anyone here in this place. Okay? Because I know some of y'all, many of y'all's stories, and some of the, the things that you have walked through in life were just were terrible. It was t- I'm, I'm grieved that, that, that some of the things that happened to you were done unjustly, unjustly to you and said about you. And it, it's painful and I don't want to minimize that. God sees and He cares and God has done something about your pain and your brokenness. God stepped into this broken world. Jesus took on flesh and he dwelt among us and he experienced the pain of injustice. He suffered unjustly in our place to bear our sin, the penalty for our sin, and also to sympathize with us and to heal the brokenness that that the effects of sin has brought into our lives. What we see in the book of Genesis from Genesis 1 to Genesis 50 is that God is good God is good. He created everything good. And so we can't blame God for the corruption that is in the world. But we can trust Him that He's going to bring about good, redemptive plans. Even though we may not see it. Even though we may not understand it. 
Here's an example here. A guy named Christian Rager. How do we make sense of evil done to us and to others? How do we put that together? As I'm preaching about the providence of God and the goodness of God here through the life of Joseph, perhaps there's some that may really be struggling with this and have that question that I've heard many times. How how can God be good and let these terrible things happen to me or these loved ones that that I know? Christian Rager spent four years uh, imprisoned by the Nazis from 1941 to 1945. His crime? He was a member of the Confessing Church, one of the German state churches that took stand against the Nazis in the 30s and 40s. He was, uh, he, as a whole, it was, um, he, he was connected there with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and, and as a whole, uh, the, the church that they ministered in, uh, it was a church that stood for truth. But Christian Rager was turned over to the Nazis by an organist of his local church and was shipped hundreds of miles away to spend the next four years in a concentration camp. Philip Yancey writes uh, uh, about this in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? He says, Christian Rager will tell the horror stories if you ask. But he will never stop there. He goes on to share his faith. How that at Dakshu, he was visited by God who loves. Nietzsche said, a man can undergo torture if he knows the why of his life. Rager told me, but I here at Dakshu learn something far greater I learned to know the who of my life. He was enough to sustain me then and is enough to sustain me still. Well, I I do think we need to know the why of our life. Why we're here, our purpose. Glorify God in it. But we need to know the presence of God. We need to know God as the one who is good and providentially caring for us. Our lives are in His hands. He sees every tear and one day He will wipe away every tear from our eye. He has done something about the evil in this world in sending Jesus to die for us, for the world. Jesus did not allow evil to overtake Him, but He overcame evil with good and that's what we are to do as His followers because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of what He's done. He's died for us. He's made us His. And we are promised, we are promised a world of no more pain, suffering, and injustice. We are promised the day when He will wipe every tear from our eyes. And until then, we can extend the same forgiveness that Joseph gave to his brothers who did him wrong. Because we have the perspective that God is good and God was up to something even though others may have meant it for evil. Even what the enemy means for evil, we turn it for our good and for your glory. We sing and sovereign over us. And at the end of the story, we see this beautiful reunion where there's weeping. There's weeping and reconciliation 
And Joseph's able to forgive because of this perspective that he has. God was working here. God was working here. And there's much good that has come through all this. Not to minimize the wrong that they had did to him, but to magnify the good that God brought about. And so let's, let's look at just a couple points of application here. Live with the awareness that God sees everything at all times. Just live with that awareness, saints. Okay? This can be taken positively or negatively. Sometimes I will text message a brother and say, hey, God is watching. And just kind of, just kind of, just kind of just think, I wonder how he's going to take this. Is this going to be taken as a positive text message or a negative text message? I got my hand in the cookie jar, right? God's watching. Or like there's faithfulness and I'm just, I'm trucking along in faithfulness and the mundaneness of life. And God sees me. Wow, that's encouraging. That's encouraging, right? And we need both. That fear of the Lord when, when we are on an evil trajectory. And, and just that, that affirmation of the Father's pleasure as we're walking in faith and doing what's right, the next right thing. God delights in our steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Psalms tells us. And so live with the awareness that God's eyes are in every place. He sees everything and and He's with us. He's for us. Not against us. He's not just waiting for you to make mistakes so He can pound on you and correct you harshly. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Old Testament emphasizes this more than once. Because that's who He is. That's His character. And show forgiveness to those who harm you, knowing that God is going to work all things together for your good. What does Colossians 3 say? It says to, to bear with one another and forgive one another even as God has forgiven you in Christ. So treat one another with that same mercy, that same grace, that same forgiveness that you've experienced as a Christ follower. You've been forgiven of all your sins and you did not earn that. You did not merit it and you don't merit it by your ongoing obedience. It's grace. Amazing grace. And those who have been amazed by the grace of God are going to be more more prone to extend that same grace to others who seem undeserving as well. So we give, just think what what your marriage could look like if you lived according to that verse of Colossians 3.13. If anyone has a complaint against one another, that's what it says. Bear with one another, patiently, right? Forbear, forgive and forbear. I think that's foundational for any relationship, but especially those that you're closest to, because you got a lot more, you got a lot more complaints that you need to address. A lot, a lot more issues that come up the closer you are. Those of you who've ever had roommates, all right, or if you get married, you have children, right? That same mercy and grace just has to be extended. And as parents, as we're as we're parenting our children, God is parenting us. And we, we need to be a conduit of grace to them. Love, grace, and truth. And not act as if we got everything together. 
And we never need any grace. Sometimes I need a spanking from the Father. And He disciplines those He loves. Doesn't feel good. But I trust that it's going to produce good results. And I'm going to receive His correction in my life as I need it. And so show forgiveness. Show grace to others as God has shown to you. And lastly, um, and actually, let me, let, me, let me quote that verse. I moved that one. Um, bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This is what a gospel-centered relationship looks like. That's, this is what applying the gospel to your relationships looks like. Tim Keller, in his book that just recently came out, he writes about forgiveness, and he says, forgiveness Forgiveness is granted often a good while before it is felt. Not felt before it's granted. It's a, it's a choice. The feelings don't always accompany that choice right away. Maybe later on. But we got to forgive and choose to forgive, even, even though we're not feeling it. There's a lot of things in the Christian life that we need to do, even though we're not feeling it. And if we're never feeling it at all for the Christian life, we, we need to do some, some search under the hood. What's going on under the hood? Right? I need to check the oil. I need, I need some major maintenance here because something's going on under the hood. The emotions in our lives are like those dashboard lights <laughs> that give us indicators of what's going on under the hood. And so lastly, be faithful. Be faithful where God has you, trusting Him to bring about His good plans for your life. Be faithful, because He's faithful. And even when we fail to be faithful, He's going to continue to be consistent and steady. Even when we fall, we can get back up, because God will be consistent and steady. If you all would stand with me. I have Psalm 138, verse 8, up on the screen here. And I want to read this and pray this together in light of this message on the providence and the goodness of God. The Psalms give us vocabulary for our prayer life. Okay? Let's pray, pray this together. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Lord, give us that resolve that David had here in this psalm. That you will fulfill your purpose for me. Give us that perspective that Joseph had that you're working through all these broken pieces it looks like a mess but in the end you're making something beautiful and if it's not beautiful you're not done with it yet Lord, would you heal the hurts that we carry because of the wrongs done to us? Through Jesus, would you make us whole? For your word says, by his stripes, 
we are healed. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free and open the eyes of the blind. Hallelujah. <laughs> preach the gospel to the poor. And so, Lord, may we experience the ministry of Jesus, the effects of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and Him alone. May we experience the restoration in our relationships, the restoration in our lives, God. Make us whole. Make us free. Make us shine bright with your glory, with your goodness. May this church, City Church Garland, your church, may your glory fill our lives and fill our church, God. And may we be a blessing to those around, those who don't